All right. Well, we are going to jump in. I'm going to pray here in a second. Um, we're going to pray that 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 we can be non uh, that we can have some undistracted time of really enjoying God's word and preaching and receiving it. Uh, this is uh, obviously a little unique for all of us. Um, Kevin decided that our jobs weren't essential, so we all had to stay home. We couldn't go and preach at church, even though this week I feel like we've learned that pretty much every other job is essential in Indiana. Uh, but Kevin said we had to stay home, so preaching from home last week was a little unique, preaching to an empty church. And this week is a little unique, preaching and watching uh, lawn furniture blow around in the yard and uh, neighbors out walking around. So uh, let's, let's pray and we will, we will jump in. Uh, Father God, we do, Lord, thank you for your word and what a gift it is, uh, Lord, that we have access to it, that we can read it and learn it and know it. And, and so, God, we ask uh, for your help. Uh, Lord, this is a unique means of preaching and receiving your word. And so we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would empower this, that you would help this, Lord, that this would still be a, a fruitful time. We ask that your word would change us and transform us. Uh, give us the ability to, to focus, even though distractions are all around us. And uh, Lord, we, we ask for your help. And uh, we ask all this in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, yes, if you've got a Bible, let's open up to Colossians. We are starting a new series this week. Uh, as last week, we finished up the book of Esther, and now we are jumping into the New Testament and starting to preach through Colossians. And as you're getting there and getting situated there with your Bibles, I want to share something with you from my past that I am not very proud of, okay? Uh, you see, back in college, uh, I went to a very strict conservative college, so if you were going to rebel, you had to do so in some creative ways, okay? And what my friends and I were doing was that uh, we were going to the cafeteria, and we were getting a lot of fruit from the cafeteria. And you might be thinking, well, hey, that doesn't sound that strange. I mean, maybe vegetables would have been better than fruit, but it seems like that's a pretty healthy choice, right? I mean, we were collecting bananas and apples and oranges and kiwis, whatever we could get our hands on in the cafeteria we were grabbing. And at first glance, you might look at us and think, hey, they're making a really mature healthy decision, right? I mean, if you compared us to the, the person next to us with pizza and ice cream, uh, you'd think like, man, these guys are eating healthy. Uh, they're making some uh, mature, healthy decisions. But then if you followed us back to our dorm room and you observed the activities that would take place later that night behind closed doors, uh, your view of our maturity level would go way down. Okay, uh, because you see what would happen later in the night is that we would open the dorm room window and we would take a water balloon launcher and it was one of those essentially like a huge slingshot where two people held the ends and one person like pulled it back, right? And so instead of grabbing water balloons, we took the bananas and the apples and the oranges and the kiwis that we had, we would put it into the launcher, we would pull it back and and we would launch it out the window. 
Now the bananas were probably the safest. They would just kind of splat on the ground and surprise some people. Uh, the kiwis definitely went the furthest and the apples were the most uh, dangerous. And thankfully we never hit anybody, but uh, we just mainly scared and startled them as to them it was seemingly fruit coming from the sky. Uh, but eventually the fun and games all came to a stop when an apple went through another dorm room window and broke some glass. And as we heard the glass shatter, we quickly ran back to our room to pretend like we were studying or sleeping. Needless to say, uh, we were pretty immature, okay? That was an immature thing to do. We initially looked like we were mature, right? It, it initially uh, looked like maturity, getting fruit from the cafeteria, but it eventually revealed itself to be very immature, all right? One of the key themes and the reasons why Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians is so that they would grow in their spiritual maturity. And this, this morning, I'm really only going to give kind of an introduction to the letter and attempt to set the stage for the next few months. So if you walk away from this morning uh, kind of wanting to know more about certain topics I bring up, that's, that's a good thing because we're not going in depth really in any of them, but we're going to touch on a few. And over the next few months, we'll go deeper into some of these topics and truths. But you see, uh, we should be maturing in our walk with Jesus, and yet sadly, many of us remain immature in our faith. And I, and I want to challenge you guys this morning as we start to study the letter to the Colossians. And I want to lovingly co confront you, and, and you guys know I'm not naturally a confrontational person, uh, but I'm feeling a bit courageous this morning. Maybe it's because I'm not in the same room as you. No one can throw stuff at me this morning. Uh, but, but here's my challenge. I think we need to hear this challenge, all of us, uh, because I believe that many of you are not as spiritually mature as you think you are. Many of you are not as spiritually mature as you think you are. And that, that's not to say that I don't love you. That's not to say that, that I think I'm really mature and no one else is. Not at all. But, but I, I believe this letter, okay, this letter to the Colossians, as well as this season of life that we are in, right, the corona quarantine, I believe that both things are an invitation for us to mature in Christ. They are inviting us to, to seek how to mature in Christ. And, and a couple of verses that resonate with me as I've, I've read through this letter, we'll spend more time on each of these verses uh, later on. I'm going to try to pull them up. But a couple of verses here that have really resonated with me. Now, the first one is Colossians 1 verse 28, which says, Him we proclaim, speaking of Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. This should be one of the main motivations for church leaders and church members that as we proclaim Jesus, uh, as, we, as we proclaim him to one another and to ourselves, as we attempt to teach and warn one another, we should be doing this so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
Paul's going to later go on in uh, Colossians 4, verse 12. He's going to say, Epaphras, which we'll, we'll talk more about here in a minute, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What a beautiful phrase that is, right? Struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. But listen, church, it's, it's easy for us to talk about maturity and immaturity and think that this is a message for the church down the road, right? Like this is a message that someone else needs to hear, but, but no church, no church. I, I believe this is for us. This is for us. I believe we need to study this letter to the Colossian church, not so that we can point our fingers at other churches, but so the Spirit would reveal some stuff about ourselves. Because many of us are not as spiritually mature as we think we are. Many of you are doing things right now that have the appearance of maturity, like I did when I got fruit from the cafeteria. But in reality, behind closed doors, as things play out later in your life, there is no real maturity there at all. And listen, I think we've often had an incorrect view of what spiritual maturity looks like, okay? Religious activity does not equal spiritual maturity, all right? Religious activity does not equal spiritual maturity. Knowing theology does not always equate to spiritual maturity. Knowing how to speak Christianese and use all the fancy words like justification and sanctification, that does not equate to spiritual maturity maturity. Oftentimes, spiritually immature people know a lot of truth, but they know nothing of grace. Oftentimes, spiritually immature people have a lot of gifts, spiritual gifts and natural gifts, but they are lacking in love. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Grant, hold on here. I thought we were supposed to become like children to enter into the kingdom of God. Like, isn't that what we even talked about when we studied the gospel of Mark? Like, I thought we were to have a childlike faith. And now you're telling us that we need to mature and grow up? And so here's where we need to distinguish between a couple of terms, okay? Here's where we need to distinguish between childlikeness and childishness. All right, that's a hard word to say. I'll just, uh, I don't even know why I chose to say it like that, but childlikeness versus childishness. All right, so let, let me try to explain it by using some examples. Uh, when, our, when one of our boys gets hurt, especially when they're really young, um, they have come to us to have, have us kiss where they have gotten hurt. And that's a really sweet moment, right? Like that's a, that's a sweet time. Uh, they're demonstrating a sweet trust and a dependence upon us to help heal them and to help them feel better. And that really is, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, all right? That, that is childlikeness that is commendable. And we, we should trust and depend upon God and go to him with everything like a child would with their parent, okay? That is childlikeness. However, at other times, uh, our boys have thrown temper tantrums. 
uh, when they haven't gotten their way, right? And if given the opportunity to eat whatever they want at a stadium, they will eat until they get sick and they throw up. Okay, that is childish, right? Like that as they grow, they should mature out of those things. And so we need God's word to help reorient our hearts and our minds to what being mature in Christ really looks like. And we need the word of God to help us understand how to pursue maturity. And so let me right here from the start give two things uh, that we're going to see in the letter of Colossians, in the letter to the Colossians, that will help lead to our maturity, okay? Number one, we will become more mature in Christ as we grow in our understanding and belief in the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus in all things. I know that's a that's a long sentence, and we're going to take months to really dig into that, okay? But we will become more mature in Christ as we grow in our understanding and our belief in the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus in all things. And then number two, we will become more mature in Christ as we live our lives more and more out of the reality that we are in Christ, all right, in Christ, that idea of our union with Christ, that we are to abide in him. We will become more mature in Christ as we live our lives more and more out of the reality that we are in Christ. And so may this be an invitation for us all to mature in Christ. We all have ways to grow and mature in Christ. And so let's, right now we're going to jump into Colossians and we will, uh, we'll see where it's going to take us. We're only going to cover part of verse one this morning. So stick with me. It won't be real long here. Okay. So uh, let's go Colossians one, verse one. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Okay, so uh, here at the beginning of the book, we are introduced to who the author is, and it is Paul. Paul is his Greek name, and Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was born about the same time that Jesus was born. Uh, he was born uh, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, he was born in Tarsus, which was a city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. I'll, I'll pull up a map here that we'll go to. Uh, so that way you can see where Tarsus is and, and where Colossae is going to be. Um, but Paul had an excellent education, and, and he, he became a Pharisee. And when he wrote to the Philippians, he shared with them uh, how if anyone could boast in their religious activity, it was Paul. All right. If anyone had reason to boast in religious activity, it was Paul. He, he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3, verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. All right, Paul is saying, hey, if anyone has reason uh, to boast in religious activity, it's, it's me. And Paul then, right, he became a persecutor of Christians. 
He had them arrested. He had them thrown into jail. He approved of their executions until on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Christ appeared to him and commissioned him to be a messenger to the Gentiles, right? Commissioned him to be a messenger to the non-Jewish world. And so this is Paul who is writing this letter with Timothy at his side. He was a former persecutor of Christians until an encounter with Christ. And now he is this, look at what he calls himself in verse one. All right. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus from, from persecutor to apostle. And this word apostle, it means messenger or it means official representative. And here we need to clarify for a minute uh, the difference between the church office of apostle and what some have called the spiritual gift of apostleship, all right? We we do not believe uh, that the church office of apostle is still open today, okay? Uh, We believe that the the 12 apostles plus Paul were the only ones that met the qualifications to hold the office of apostle, all right? We do not believe the the office is still open. We don't believe that people should now be calling themselves apostles. However, uh, there are some that would argue there is this kind of spiritual gift that people have of apostleship that God still, through the Spirit, gifts people to be official representatives and messengers to go start new ministries, to go be uh, missionaries and church planters, to oversee church planting networks. And so that is what some have kind of called the spiritual gift of apostleship, people that are, are gifted in ways to go start new ministries and oversee church planting networks and things like that. But, but to clarify, the church office of apostle is closed, all right? But here, Paul is claiming this apostleship, all right? As he has personally encountered the risen Christ, and he's been commissioned by Jesus. This wasn't, right, this, this, this was a very unique thing, commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. And so that's who's writing this, okay? That's, that's Paul. But who is he writing this letter to, all right? Well, he's writing to the church in uh, Colossae, all right? And I'll pull up a, a map here, that map here again, all right? The city of Colossae, it was a small city about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And uh, Colossae had been a larger city back in the 4th and 3rd centuries before Christ, And uh, it it was known for making a high-quality dark red wool known as Colossian wool. Okay, that's just kind of a fun fact uh, for you. So if you know, back in the day, if you had noticed uh, someone who had a really nice red wool shirt and you checked the tag, it would probably say made in Colossae, all right? And so, but but what happened to the city was that as new roads were made, uh, the new roads took people more through uh, Laodicea and therefore there was a decline in the city of Colossae, so, so much so that by the time Paul is writing, this, it's a fairly small city, all right? But it's also a diverse city. Um, Having been on an important highway in the Roman Empire, uh, there was a good mix of different ethnic groups and religious beliefs. It was mainly a Gentile city. However, there was a strong Jewish presence there, and we're going to see Paul address uh, uh, some some of the, the Judaism that was probably creeping into the church. 
Now, Colossae was also lo located in an area that was prone to earthquakes, okay? And so a few, likely a few years after Paul wrote this, there was a devastating earthquake in the city uh, that destroyed the city. And as far as we know, the city had not been rebuilt after that earthquake. But he's not just writing to the city of Colossae. He's writing to the church in Colossae. And this was a church that Paul did not actually plant, but it was started when Paul was in Ephesus. And what happened was a guy from Colossae named Epaphras, all right, had traveled to Ephesus, had heard Paul preach the gospel. He got converted and then took the gospel back to his home city and planted a church. Like what, what a beautiful story that is of, of someone hearing the gospel, right, in another city and saying, I've got to take this back to my city. And that's what we see uh, happen. And so Paul is sort of like a spiritual grandpa to this, to this church. And now it's been a few years later, probably five to ten years later, and uh, Epaphras has now come to Paul and shared with him that there is some dangerous false teaching that is threatening the church. And we're going to talk more about what that teaching was in later weeks. But Paul is hearing this concern, and he writes this letter to encourage the church to grow towards Christian maturity and to not be led astray by this false, dangerous teaching. So that's, that's who's writing this. That's who he's writing it to. But where is Paul writing this from? Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he was in prison a lot, but this was likely during his imprisonment in Rome, okay? So look, look back. We've kind of set the stage a little bit. Uh, look back at Colossians 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Yes, this is an opening greeting to his letter, but this is also a window for us to kind of look in and see Paul's perspective on his whole life, all right? This, this was how Paul understood his entire life, that it was all by the will of God. For example, when he wrote to the Romans in Romans uh, 15, verse 32, he wrote, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And when he wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote in Ephesians 1, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so Paul, remember, he is writing this from prison, and he understands that, yes, like not only is he an apostle by the will of God, but he's an apostle in prison by the will of God. He's an apostle in prison by the will of God, and you are hearing this quarantined in your own homes, some of you probably feeling like you're in prison, but, but know that even in the corona quarantine, right, this is by the will of God. God works all things according to the 
counsel of his will. And so think, think about how unbelievable this is, that Paul, a former persecutor of the church, has now become an apostle of Jesus. Like the only way that happens is by the will of God, right? The, like the only way that happens is by the will of God. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the Christians back during those early years of the church, okay? You've heard about this guy named Saul. He's going around imprisoning Christians. He's seen some of them executed. And maybe you've even started charting like the imprisonment numbers and the death rates in the region. And you've seen them doubling every few days. You probably can't relate to that but let's just say you could and you look at the stats and you see what Paul is doing and you're starting to grow anxious you're starting to despair that if God does not intervene here all the Christians are going to eventually be imprisoned or wiped out if it's up to the will of this guy named Saul right like if it's up to him this is all going badly like like Christians are going to be imprisoned they're going to be in jail they're going to be wiped out and seeing what was happening there in the early church could have definitely produced some anxiety in those Christians, in, in the believers' hearts. One of the best definitions I've heard recently for anxiety is that anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus in it. Anxiety is imagining the future without Jesus in it. And yet what, what happened with Saul, the very person who was bringing persecution and destruction to the church, God intervened and turned this persecutor of the church into an apostle of the church, for this was the will of God. And church, maybe we, maybe we weren't persecutors of the church. Like, I don't know everyone's uh, complete background and history, but I know many of us, we probably weren't persecutors of the church before Jesus intervened in our lives. But certainly we know that we were all rebels and enemies of God before Jesus intervened in our lives. But it was God's will to intervene and turn us from enemies to disciples. Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, uh, speaking of Jesus, he said in Galatians 1 verse 4, he says, Jesus, this Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this is our closing and comforting thought here, church, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, both imprisonments and quarantines, according to his will. And while we may not be apostles by the will of God, like Paul was, we certainly are disciples by the will of God. We are pastors and we are teachers and we are nurses and we are realtors and we are husbands and we are wives and we are single all by the will of God. And we are even living through a pandemic by the will of God. Now, certainly God is not the author of evil. He is not morally responsible for sin, but, but nothing is outside of his control. And he works all things according to the counsel of his will.
And as we mature in Christ, and as we live our lives more and more out of the reality that we are in Christ, then we will find ourselves less and less anxiously imagining a future without Jesus in it, but instead having a hopeful anticipation, knowing our future will have Jesus in it because we are in him. We are in him. So take heart, church. This was the will of God to give himself for our sins, to deliver us from our present and secure for us a future. So let's, let's pray. 